the non-Christian participants were very willing to admit that they thought Christians were bad at and distrusting of science. And that to us underscored the sort of social acceptability of still expressing these stereotypes. This is Parsing Science, the unpublished stories behind the world's most compelling science, as told by the researchers themselves. I'm Ryan Watkins. And I'm Doug Legg. Do people really see Christians as less competent and interested in science? And if so, what can be done to undo such pervasive stereotypes? Today, we're visited by Dr. Kimberly Rios, an associate professor at Ohio University and director of experimental training with its Department of Psychology. In this episode of Parsing Science, Kim discusses how self-concepts and group identities influence religious stereotypes. This episode is sponsored by We Share Science. When researchers are curious about what is happening in science, they go to We Share Science to explore video abstracts uploaded by other researchers. You can search their vast catalog of video abstracts to learn about the latest scientific findings, or you can share your research with the world. Whether your research is in progress or already published, at We Share Science, you can share your science and grow your impact. Explore the world's research at WeShareScience.org. Now, back to Parsing Science. Here's Kim Rios. Okay, so I'm an associate professor of psychology at Ohio University in Athens. When I was in college, a freshman year, I went to an undergraduate research fair and started talking to some of the graduate students who were doing what I thought was really fascinating research on stereotyping and uh, the effects of different cultural contexts on behaviors. And really, I just started working as a research assistant and never looked back. I uh, was one of the lucky ones that uh, decided pretty quickly that I knew this was where I wanted to be. After earning her undergraduate and graduate degrees at Stanford, Kim started out as an assistant professor of psychology with the University of Chicago in 2010, then moved to Ohio University in 2013. Around that time, A serendipitous conversation piqued her interest in studying stereotypes related to religion and science. About five years ago, I actually took a trip purely for vacation purposes to Morocco. Uh, And this is where my interest in uh, religious stereotypes really started. So on this trip, I had a random conversation with some people I knew over there in which we were talking about religion and science, uh, and I said something like, well, in the U.S., there's this assumption, say, in the media, among the general public, that religion and science don't really go together. And the Moroccans that I, Moroccan people that I was talking to were baffled and just said, really? That is so strange that that's even a phenomenon that people have that state of mind. And so that got me thinking about uh, how this perception of religion, science, incompatibility, I mean, I'll be pun very much intended, agnostic as to whether I believe that it's actually true that they're incompatible or not. But it's just this perception of whether they are can really affect how people think. After I had this conversation with the people in Morocco, I started to think maybe 
one of the reasons that we perceive religion and science as so incompatible and that that uh, religious people are less likely to, say, perform well on analytical thinking tasks, maybe it has something to do with this perception itself. So maybe religious people, because they're aware that other people stereotype their group as not very scientific and uh, that they stereotype religion as a whole is incompatible with science, maybe that uh, has detrimental effects down the line. While such chance encounters can give birth to a research topic, just because something hasn't yet been researched doesn't necessarily mean that it should. Instead, sound theory is necessary, as are connections to prior research. So we wanted to know what scholarship had already been done into stereotype threats. In some of the earlier research, there were uh, studies that simply told women that the math test they were about to take had shown gender differences in performance versus telling another group that the test had shown no differences. And women, just like what we found with Christians and non-Christians, women underperform relative to men only when they're told that there are gender differences in performance. And for uh, race and stereotype threat, there's some evidence that simply indicating what race you are on a demographic survey before you take an SAT or GRE type test is enough to induce stereotype threat in minority students. So that's like what we did with our Christian and non-Christian participants. It's long been said that religion and politics are often too controversial to bring up in polite company. But no topic is off limits in academia. So we asked him to tell us about her and her team's religious upbringing. Um, so we are on all ends, I think, of the religious spectrum in terms, well, both in terms of our backstories and currently. So I, uh, I grew up Catholic um, and I don't, uh, so I don't currently go to church or practice or anything like that. And I would say I'm more spiritual than religious, uh, but I definitely don't, uh, like, I, I, I don't self-identify as atheist. I'm more, if anything, spiritual slash agnostic, but leaning toward believing in something. Um, and uh, one of my co-authors, uh, Zen Chang, is Christian. Uh, Rebecca Totten, who's my graduate student, I think, uh, grew up uh, religious and Christian, but doesn't necessarily identify with that now. And Azim Sharif, who's the fourth author, uh, he's a professor at UC Irvine, is uh, he's got an interesting story. He was raised in a Muslim family, but now self-identifies as atheist. Uh, and actually, really funny uh, story of something that happened when Azim, my student Rebecca, and I were all Skyping about this project. He, he's got longer hair, I think, that, and curly hair uh, that he sometimes pulls back. And it looks a little bit Einstein-ish sometimes. After the Skype, Rebecca turns to me and she said, is Azim, uh, is Azim atheist? Because his name sounds kind of Muslim, but he has that atheist hair. And I thought, what do you mean? Kim's team carried out five separate studies as part of their project. The first was designed to determine how people rate their awareness of negative stereotypes about Christians and science. Their second study examined whether people would self-identify with science differently after reading that Christians either were bad at science or good at it. 
as the first step, we uh, collaborated with Azim and his student Zen uh, over at University of Oregon, where they both were at the time, uh, to basically look at, does this stereotype of Christians being incompetent at or distrusting of science, does it actually exist? And are people aware of these stereotypes? And in some data that we collected, both with college students and Amazon Mechanical Turk, both Christian and non-Christian participants were very aware that Christians are stereotyped as bad at science, and they recognized that they were stereotyped as worse at science than all other religious groups we asked about. And then when we looked at whether people actually believed the stereotype and compared Christian and non-Christian participants, this is where we saw some differences. Christians did not personally endorse the stereotype of their group. Uh, they didn't think their group was any better or worse at science than uh, other religious groups. But the non-Christian participants were very willing to admit that they thought Christians were bad at and distrusting of science. And that, to us, underscored the sort of social acceptability of still expressing these stereotypes. Though about one in three people on the planet are Christian, there are many denominations that make up the world's largest religion. So we wondered, what kinds of faith traditions did the people in her study affiliate with? There was a lot of variation, some Catholic, some Protestant, some who said that they identified as another kind of Christian. And our non-Christians were mostly agnostic, atheist, and nuns. Uh, not religious nuns, so people who identify N-O-N-E. <laughs> Sometimes that confuses my psychology of religion students when I don't specify what I mean by a nun. <laughs> After corroborating the idea that both non-Christians and Christians alike tend to harbor negative stereotypes about Christians' scientific ability, Kim's team then wondered whether priming people to this stereotype could influence their scientific reasoning. Once we had that established, we started doing studies where we experimentally uh, varied how aware our Christian and non-Christian participants were of uh, these stereotypes. So, for instance, in one study, we basically gave them a scientific, a, a task that we described as measuring scientific reasoning. And we told them beforehand, uh, we told half the people, this test has been shown to produce differences between religious groups. Christians perform worse on this test than non-Christians. And then uh, for the other half of participants, we said, there are no religious differences in performance. Christians and non-Christians tend to perform equally well. And we found that it was only when Christians were reminded of that stereotype and of their group underperforming that they showed performance decrements relative to the non-Christians. And when we told them, when we explicitly removed the stereotype and told them that uh, that Christians and non-Christians performed equally well, there were no differences in performance that existed between the two groups. Intrigued by what they found, Kim's team next wanted to figure out whether Christians might be more inclined toward non-scientific thinking. But instead of giving participants a new test, they relabeled one from the previous study as a test of intuitive thinking. In our next study after that, we... Um, looked at a more indirect way of varying people's perceptions of the tests they were about to take and how threatening that it was. So we basically either told Christian or non-Christian participants that the tests they were about to take 
was either measuring scientific reasoning, so the ability to solve logical, make logical solutions to problems, or in the less threatening condition or uh, group of people, we told them that the tests measured intuitive thinking. So we thought that that sort of frame would be less uh, threatening, a little bit less scary to Christian participants because they know that their religious group is stereotyped as bad at science. But if anything, the stereotype of their religious group with respect to intuitive thought and using your gut to solve problems is, if anything, more positive. And we found that just telling people that the tests measured scientific reasoning was enough to produce the Christian, non-Christian performance difference. But again, using the exact same test, just with a different label attached, scientific versus intuitive thought, um, when the test was described as measuring intuitive thought, Christians and non-Christians performed equally well. That to us was really interesting and striking. Knowing that people might stereotype others' scientific ability is one thing, but measuring it is another. Here, Kim explains how she and her colleagues did so. There are a lot of different ways that you can manipulate awareness of stereotypes, and we chose the the manipulations that we did because... uh, we wanted things that would uh, we wanted manipulations that would be relatively believable and that could be used both on college student and MTurk samples. They're not measures of science knowledge per se, and we wanted to avoid those kind of tasks because we, we didn't we didn't want to worry about uh, all the well invariably huge differences between participants in how much science they know in the first place. We wanted it really to be something that we could frame as relying on analytical and logical reasoning, which a lot of these different tasks that we use do. So, for instance. My colleague, Keith Markman from Ohio University, has developed these non what he calls nonsense syllogisms. So it's basically two sets or several sets of two premises and a conclusion, and they all don't make any sense, but you have to determine whether the conclusion follows logically from the premises. So for example, no man with a pink nose can be president. All men have pink noses. Therefore, no man can be president. And of course, this set of statements is absurd, but logically it does, the conclusion does make sense given the premises. And this is one of the tasks that the participants have to do. Uh, So we use that in a couple of our studies. We use the RAT, which is another analytical logical reasoning task where people have to uh, select or come up with when given a triad of words like falling, actor, and dust, they have to determine what is the fourth word that relates to all of those three. And the answer in that case would be star. So falling star, star dust, actor star. The beauty of a lot of these tasks, so the RAT in particular, because it's the one that's been the most widely used in uh, previous psychological research. The beauty of this is that You can tell people, tell participants that the task that the RAT measures just about anything and they'll believe you. (laughs) So, for example, a lot of researchers have used it as an ostensible measure of creativity. A lot of people have said this measures analytical thinking. And in the study that uh, 
Azim and I and our students did together, uh, we this RAT task was perfect when we when we varied how the task was described as measuring either analytical reasoning or intuitive thinking. No matter how we described the RAT, people bought what we said that it was measuring. <laughs> The team then wanted to find out whether the context in which Christians and non-Christians complete these tests might also influence their performance. Here's how Kim and her team carried this out in their fifth and final study. So there was actually one study in the paper, it's the last study, where uh, it was run by my master's student while I was still at University of Chicago. Um, and. It was, it involved asking people to take the science test either in the divinity school, which University of Chicago had, or in the physics department. So the idea was that for Christian participants who were highly religious, um, given that U Chicago was a very secular um, and stereotypically somewhat nerdy institution, um, the divinity school group, the people who took the test there, who identified as Christian, would feel a little bit more comfortable and less threatened in that uh, simply being in that context and taking the exact same test as the people who were taking it in the physics department uh, would actually eradicate the stereotype threat effects. So we did find that that subtle contextual cue can uh, have uh, really striking effects on Christians and non-Christians' performance. So we wondered, since all of these studies turned out as Kim and her team expected them to, were there any surprises? We were uh, struck by how easy it was to induce this stereotype. So specifically, it seems as though the default perception, uh, well, among our participants, was to have this stereotype sort of in their heads and carrying around with them. And I say this because in the studies we ran that we reported in this paper, where we didn't give uh, Christian participants any information about religious differences in performance, uh, we just... Uh, we just had them go right to the scientific reasoning task and told them, well, you're going to take this reasoning test um, as a measure of your abilities. Uh, that just saying that this was a measure of scientific reasoning was enough to produce the performance difference. And it's the critical, uh, well, the critical condition or group of participants was those for whom the negative stereotype was explicitly removed. It was those individuals that were different, uh, so where you saw no difference between Christians and non-Christians. So it was that particular condition that was different from all the others. So it seems as though in order to eradicate the pernicious consequences of the negative stereotype that Christians are bad at science, that you have to go above and beyond and give extra reassurance. Like you have to uh, emphasize the ways in which Christians do perform as well as non-Christians and really make them feel comfortable and less threatened. And I think that's a product, honestly, of how acceptable and how easy it is for people to just openly express the stereotypes, uh, these stereotypes about Christians. And in fact, when I present this research at conferences, one of two things will happen pretty much every presentation that I've given. First thing, somebody in the audience inevitably, this is a very liberal, progressive academic audience usually, will raise their hand and say something like, but Christians really 
are worse at science or Christians really don't like science that much. (laughs) So pretty much confirming the stereotype that other people have. And the second thing that often happens is that I'll get approached by somebody who is in the audience afterward, just privately, or uh, even by, say, friends of mine who have heard that I've been doing this research. And they'll say something like, I really appreciate that you're running these studies because I'm Christian and I also, you know, I work, I'm a professor in a psychology department, and sometimes it's really uncomfortable for me to reveal my religious identity. I don't even know if my colleagues know that I'm Christian. So all of this, I think, speaks to how pervasive the stereotype is in society and how easy it is for it to have negative effects. It's often joked that a good research study is a done research study. But hindsight can provide researchers with a perspective on how they might have conducted their studies had they only then known what they have since discovered. So we asked him if there were anything she and her team might have done differently. I guess one challenge that we faced was uh, thinking about uh, the Christian versus the non-Christian groups of participants. Our experimental manipulations had to do with just talking about Christians and non-Christians very generally. But it is, uh, it is sort of a challenge to think about how might our results be different for certain subsets of Christians versus others. And with the sample sizes that we've collected, we don't, uh, and just the variety of Christian denominations represented in our populations, uh, we don't have quite the statistical power to look at this, but I do think it'd be really interesting in future research. In our first episode of Parsing Science, our guest, Ryan Kelly, somewhat grimly described publishing as the last in a very long series of steps. So we were interested in learning of Kim's experiences in publishing her article. When we were trying to get this paper published, that process was at certain points a little bit frustrating, as the publication process often is. Um, We uh, ended up publishing the article in Social Psychological and Personality Science, which is a really good and relatively new journal in our field. But we did have a set of reviews that came back from a different journal. And one of the reviewers of this paper basically said, well, in addition to a few other things, I didn't really learn anything from this paper except that the stereotypes about Christians being bad at science are true. And I thought, what? Did you even read the paper <laughs> um, since we uh, since we very clearly showed, well, no, the effects of the stereotypes are true. They emerge when the stereotypes are made salient, but not in these conditions where we move this we remove the stereotype. But I think that a lot of this goes back to uh, especially, well, these two taboo topics, politics and religion, people really want are set on uh, confirming things that they believed in the first place. So I think in some ways, these findings about, well, Christians really can be as good at science as non-Christians under certain circumstances could be potentially threatening to people's worldviews who have grown up and have been socialized to think, oh, those Christians just don't want anything to do with science. 
Lastly, we ask Kim to talk about what impact she hopes her research might have in the world. If we can change how threatened and how likely people are to pursue certain scientific fields by implementing these subtle types of manipulations or even just making people aware of this research, then that could have really positive consequences for just increasing participation in the scientific community more generally. That was Dr. Kim Rios. Her article with Zen Cheng, Rebecca Totten, and Azim Sharif was published by the Journal of Social Psychological and Personality Science in 2015. You'll find a link to their article on parsingscience.org, along with other material that she discussed during the show. Next time on Parsing Science, we'll be visited by Dr. Davy Parikh from the Georgia Institute of Technology. In the episode, She'll discuss her research on training computers to extract meaning from images of everyday life. Common sense, by definition, is something that's assumed to be commonly known. And text and language is what humans use to communicate. And we don't usually communicate the things that we already assume everyone knows. So common sense, in some sense, is hard to find in text. But it's present all around us in the visual world. We hope that you will join us again 